Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecallendershow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. All righty, so I got a bunch of emails here on the uh, voter ID case that was reheard at the state Supreme Court. We've got some messages here. I'll go through them. Also, I've got a uh, a new uh, wrinkle in the story about that mill in Canton in Western North Carolina that uh, they announced they're shutting it down. So I got uh, some update on that. And I do have the uh, the write up here by Gene Nickel, uh, leftist contributing columnist to the McClatchy Papers, who just does some really uh, just vicious work. Uh, just nasty. Uh, so we'll get to all of it. Let me start with some emails, though, on the voter ID lawsuit and uh, the, the court arguments. Uh, if you didn't catch him, get the podcast. First uh, two hours of the program went through the uh, the oral arguments that were heard yesterday. So this is from Tim in an email to Pete at the PeteCallenderShow.com regarding the voter ID law. The left's mindset reminds me of an old saying, rules for thee, but not for me. All that legalese spewed in the court sounds like a bunch of, uh, well, I'll just call it stuff, designed to confuse the situation. It is time for a national divorce. This is, well, it ties into caller Bob, who called in uh, about half hour ago in the last hour. And uh, Bob, number one, um, you know, lamented the state of politics. And he said, oh, have you looked at this group represent uh, represent.us. And uh, I have not heard this organization, so I go to the, I've looked up the website, I have done that, and Bob laments some of the problems, and, you know, he says they're for, um, uh, you know, getting rid of gerrymandering, they want to do term limits, and, you know, uh, get money out of politics, overturn Citizens United and stuff, and so some of the things that they are espousing, I am not on board with, Okay. Um, some of the things I am term limits. I like the idea of term limits. Yeah. Um, but when they say things like put country over party, I, okay. In theory, I, I like that, but what does that mean? Right. That's not a policy country over party. That's not a policy, right? That could be your mission statement or something. They want to challenge the two party duopoly. Okay. How, what does that mean? Right. These things. These things are going to have policies attached to them. Now, do those policies actually do the thing that you say you want to do? Um, end the influence of money in politics. See, this is this is the thing that gets me. Because I went through and I looked. The first thing I always do when I look up an organization like this is I go to the about page. I find who their board of directors are, uh, uh, you know, who's on the board of directors, who are their leaders, who are their executives, and all of that. And um, they do have a couple of conservatives that I recognized. I don't know all of the names. Obviously they have a whole bunch of people, but they've got a ton of leftists. I mean, a ton. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's a little suspicious because I don't trust leftists, particularly liars, AKA actors. They got a ton of actors that are involved in this project. So is this like a vanity kind of a project? Alyssa Milano was on there. So, yeah, 
Mm, I don't. Sh- I, I don't believe uh, her her policy prescriptions are going to be aligned with mine. Here's the thing: you want to reduce the influence of money in politics, which, let's be honest, what we're really talking about there is politics, right? Because what is politics? I talk about this all the time, which is politics is the way that we settle our differences without violence, right? That's how we that's how we navigate this society with people who have different ideas about things. We have a set of rules and we and we all have to follow these rules. And if you want to change the rules, here's how you change them. You want to add some, here's how you add them, right? But we all have to work within this rule book. And that's politics. Because we're going to submit, you know, ideas and proposals that will have to comply with these rules. Now, the problems start arising when people look for loopholes in the rule book, and then they exploit the loopholes in order to enrich themselves, either through financial gain or through the accumulation of power. And so when people talk about getting money out of politics, what are they really saying? They're saying that they don't think a rich person should be able to influence a debate or create policy that benefits them at the expense of others or, or that others can't uh, also enjoy, right? That they get all these perks. They get these benefits because they're rich. They're buying lawmakers who then protect them or enrich them, right? Well, you're downstream of the problem because the problem is the politics, and the reason you've got the politics in the first place is because you got too many rules. You got too many laws. You got an expansive government that is in everything. And so when you concentrate the power, as we have seen occur in America up in D.C., when you concentrate all that power up there, now the moneyed interests can go to one place and they can hire an army of influencers to go out there and influence policy for their clients. One-stop shopping, right? Rather than a federalism kind of a model where they would have to influence every single state capital or every single county commission or or, uh, city council or school board, right? When you diffuse the power, you diffuse the influence of the politics. And, And... also, let's be clear that when people complain about the influence of money in politics, it's it's their adversaries influence. It's their money in politics that that they don't like. It's not mine, right? Because if I'm aligned with you and you're rich and you're going to help fund these causes that I believe in, I'm OK with that because that's that's for the people. I'm doing it for altruistic reasons and this is for the good of all. Right. Um. Make elections accessible and secure for all. I like the concept. What does that mean? Don't know yet. Haven't clicked through to find out what their policy prescriptions are. Are they for voter ID? Are they for uh, interstate cross-check? I got an email on this. Hang on. Um, From DK. Pete, states don't cross-reference voter lists. That's true. Many people forget to send notice of a move to their local and state boards of elections. A person can be categorized as active for at least three years in one state while actively living or actually living and voting in another. It is possible for a person to vote in more than one state each election if the voter rolls have not been cleaned up and the person lives close enough to travel. That is exactly correct. Uh, My colleague comes on uh, three to six here on WBT. Brett Winterbull talks about 
uh, I think in the last election cycle, California mailed him a ballot. He hadn't lived in California in years. They mailed him a ballot. Got sent here. Like, do you think that's a secure election? Of course not. David, welcome to the program. Hello, David. Hey, Pete. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Well, I've been listening, you know, to you talk about, you know, the voter ID laws. And, you know, the real purpose of voter ID is to keep non-citizens from voting. I mean, we've had over 5 million enter the country since Biden's taken office. And, you know, black Americans have had the right to vote much longer than they've had the ability to safely vote, mm-hmm. if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And if I was black, well, really, you don't have to be black to sympathize, you know, with the situation that I don't want my vote being diluted or canceled out by somebody who jumped the fence two weeks ago. Well, so I don't know if I I don't know if I agree that the point of voter ID is to keep illegal uh, immigrants from uh, voting. I mean, yes, it does do that. I don't deny that, obviously. But the, the, the purpose of the photo ID is a form of corroboration that the person presenting themselves at the polling station is, in fact, the person that is uh, allowed to vote, right? That, that you live because that, like, our system is based on your address. It's based on jurisdiction, right? That's where that we draw our districts based on addresses, where people live, and, and that's where you go vote at your local precinct. So the driver's license connects you to that address. And so when you walk in, the the person can clearly see, okay, this is you in the ID. That's you in the picture. Here's your address. Okay. And that's the address in our book. You're supposed to be voting here because like, honestly, I mean, they could have, I mean, there are some jurisdictions that have done this. Driver's licenses can be obtained by unauthorized immigrants. And some jurisdictions are letting unauthorized immigrants vote in their local elections. Right. So, this is part of a larger problem. Yeah. We need to get back to election day. No. The biggest problem with these mail-in votes, you know, we had a great system for years. Everything was decentralized. So 50 states would vote, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know how they voted until election night, which meant that you didn't know where you were going to need votes to tip the balance. Well, Now that we've got these mail-in votes, yeah. you know, it's too easy to cheat. Well, the the you can do a mail in you can do mail in voting and and limit the cheating you can do that now th- now do do political parties want to do that right and in California the Democrats have resoundingly said no we do not uh, with the ballot harvesting operations that they run out there so you know I you're not going to go back to uh, you're not going to take away early voting and you can't take away the mail in vote it's just not going to happen people and people enjoy it too much people prefer it it's way easier and with our technology we should be able to actually do a better system it's just we got to have the will to do it i appreciate the call david i got to run uh so before i get to the canton mill update um i mentioned this twice so i got to pay it off gene nickel this guy this raging lunatic sorry i'm that's not a clinical diagnosis but um He is a contributing columnist over at the McClatchy Papers, has been for years and years and years. Um, And I think uh, losing the Democrat majority in the General Assembly, it broke his brain a little bit. Um, He's a professor of law at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, And from that perch, he uh, takes all sorts of nasty, vindictive uh, shots at conservatives. He's been doing it for 20 years. 
And so he's got a piece because he has a platform that they uh, they give him at McClatchy where he gets to spread his venom. And uh, he says, much has been made in recent days of the new North Carolina Supreme Court's rule of law defying procedural blitzkrieg. Okay, it's not a rule defying rule of law defying procedural blitzkrieg. It's, It's not. It's actually the exact opposite. The Rule 31 is what it's called. Rule 31 rehearing. I mean, you're a lawyer. You should know this. It's a rule. It says you can do this, and they're doing it. Just because it doesn't get done a lot doesn't mean it's not a rule. It's not a rule of law defying anything. It is a rule adhering, actually, proceeding. The boldly partisan majority announced with fervor there is a new sheriff in town, and they're on a mission. I love how... So what Gene Nickel believes is that the Republican judges are behaving in a way that the Democrat judges did not. Democrat judges who literally fast-tracked cases and skipped court of appeals review so they could get the case before they got voted out. We're not supposed to look at that. We're not supposed that is not supposed to inform any of our views on this. And when the Republicans come back in, uh, come in and they say, we're going to go back and look at these rulings because we believe you guys fast track this in order to put your thumb on the scale and engage in judicial activism. But to Gene Nickel, he got what he wanted. He got what he wanted. And so precedent be damned. It doesn't matter. Rule of law defying fast tracking. That's okay because he got what he wanted. I I kept telling you guys, you're not going to like it when everybody starts playing by the same rules. He says these aren't judges in any traditional sense. They are right-wing Republican foot soldiers. This is what he's saying. What, what did they... He, they haven't even issued a ruling yet. They, they have simply said, we don't think the process you guys used when you had the majority and you knew you were going to get voted out, that you guys broke rules, you guys broke precedent, you guys fast-tracked things, and you made these crazy constitutional crisis-inducing rulings. And we're going to we got to come in and clean up the mess. And for that, they're called Republican right wing Republican foot soldiers. They not they're not even judges. They're out to own the libs and they're doing it. See, when 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 leftist lawyers in robes, right, when they go out and they issue, quote, landmark rulings. And all the the media and the leftists, but I repeat myself, when they, and they all swoon at the feet of these leftist lawyers in robes, right? When they do it, it's different. It's different. When the left breaks precedent, fast tracks cases ahead of elections, conjures up new law never found before in the texts, right? That's all fine. You're not acting as a leftist foot soldier. No, no. That's just good judging. This guy still has a platform at McClatchy. It's amazing. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. So there was a, again, an update on the story that we uh, we talked about last week. Um, 
the the town of Canton in uh, Haywood County, Western North Carolina, uh, big announcement that their paper mill that is like literally in the heart of their downtown and employs hundreds of people, uh, they announced that they were going to be closing. And uh, it's uh, it's devastating news. But while we were going over that a couple days back with Corey Valencourt from Smoky Mountain News, um, the uh, there was a detail that I was kind of still up in the air, which was that they got a bunch of state money. They got $12 million a couple years ago to convert over from coal fire to natural gas. And it was touted as this, you know, this this big deal. It saved the plant and everything. Uh, you know, I guess it prolonged its life somewhat. But the plant is over 100 years old, I want to say. And, uh, I mean, it is... It is every bit 100 years old, right? The uh, the closure of the mill, though, now raises questions about whether the company is going to have to pay back some or all of that $12 million that it got because it got it eight years ago. And they then went on. So they spent a lot of money. They spent like $52 million plus the 12, so like 67 total. $67 million uh, over the last, like, 15 years or so, 10, 15 years to try to clean up its coal fired operations. I, a friend of mine told me just the other day that they just uh, tore down and replaced one of the stacks, one of the smokestacks at a cost of over a million dollars. So, and that was in January, they said. So, and they know because they were involved in the work. So, like, I'm I'm unclear as to, like, how you go from essentially, what, eight weeks ago, tearing this thing down, building it back, putting in a new smokestack, and then, okay, you know, we're closing up. That's how fast the tide turned. Now, I did get this, uh, I got another link here from Trudy, um, and this is from SeekingAlpha.com, a write-up about the parent company, and this was back from... Uh, October 22, Pactive Evergreen is the company. And you got, uh, go down to the very bottom here, and it says, um, an issue I have with this company, Pactive Evergreen, uh, which is, I think, out of New Zealand, and uh, it, they, it's a paper mill. And so they were, like, their main uh, uh, product line, as I understand it, out of the Canton Mill was uh, beverage cups. So when COVID hit, they were... Um, they they had a lot of demand because you had, you know, restaurants that closed down, but they were doing a lot of to-go orders and such. But then when the lockdowns get lifted and bars and restaurants can open back up, now people are, you know, they're not they're not taking out food. They're they're using the glassware. They're sitting down at the places. And then, you know, double whammy, you get the economy comes uh, uh, crashing down and um, now people aren't going out to eat. You got all the inflation. People aren't going out to eat as much because they don't have as much disposable income. And so uh, now you've got that downward pressure. So uh, this uh, Seeking Alpha investment site says another uh, issue I have is that the company is carrying too high of a debt burden, had over uh, $4.2 billion in long-term debt on a business that does $750 million over the last 12 months, earnings before Interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. So, like, you're making seven fifty 
and you've got debt of like five times that amount. He said, simply put, I think the company's capital structure is too debt heavy heading into a global rate hiking cycle. Interest rates. And this is the thing that helped take down SVB, right? The interest rates. And the interest rates are getting cranked up. Why? Right, to drain inflation, right? To try to stymie inflation. And where did that come from? The printing of the money, right? The profligate spending. So is this mill a casualty? Kind of seems like it. Might be. The mill received a $12 million grant to offset the cost of the natural gas conversion thanks to a state program to encourage job creation and retention. It does have strings attached, according to Vicki Hyatt at TheMountaineer.com. The mill pledged to maintain its workforce for 10 years and not drop below a minimum of 800 employees. And it could not reduce its salaries during the terms uh, the period of the grant. So that's 10 years. Well, they haven't gone through 10 years. They're only at eight. The mill's impending closure raises the question of whether all or part of the state funds are going to need to be repaid. Uh, David Rhodes, the communications director for the North Carolina Department of Commerce, said media reports of the company's situation became public last Tuesday evening. So we have only just begun our investigation into the specific circumstances of the company's action. The state has never before seen a breach of contract under the Job Maintenance and Capital Development Program, or the JMAC for short. But that is likely about to happen now, given that Pactive Evergreen plans to close 18 months before their agreement expires. Or maybe they weren't aware of this, because it's a new owner since like 21, I want to say. So maybe they weren't aware of some of the terms, and maybe they say, oh, you know what, maybe we'll just ride this out for another 18 months or so. I don't know. Is 12 million, I mean, you're going to take a 12 million, you got to pay that back. And maybe they can afford to do it. Maybe they take out even more debt. I don't know. The Canton Mill employed 808 individuals with an average wage of $81,000. In 2014, they had all of these new federal air quality requirements. And so that's why they applied for the grants. They got the deal. $12 $12 million in exchange for uh, a $50 million capital investment by them. And they had to continue to employ 800 people for the next 10 years and not reduce anybody's salaries. The mill ended up investing $67 million. They converted two of the plant's coal-fired boilers to natural gas. Um, grant agreements, especially ones for economic development, often have a clawback clause, meaning if the grant terms are not met, then the money has to be repaid. And so that's what the Department of Commerce is now reviewing. Um, Also, from WRAL's TechWire, at the requests of three companies, tax incentive plans have now been terminated by the state of North Carolina. Two of them are in the Triangle area. Uh, One of them is in Bessemer City. That one is Europe-based Dolandia, D-H-O-L-L-A-N-D-I-A, or maybe it's D-Hollandia. I don't know. Uh, They asked to be released from an agreement that they signed in 2017, so what, five years ago. They were going to build a liftgate manufacturing plant in Bessemer City, but they cite ongoing economic fallout from the COVID pandemic. The company has invested $22.5 million in the facility. They have 10 employees. 
The company says it has postponed the launching of manufacturing. Instead, they're going to focus on maintenance and product support. LabCorp, they're asking for uh, out of their JDIG grant, their JDIG grant, because uh, they're in the process of splitting into two companies. And then the big one, Xerox. Xerox no longer envisions meeting the job creation and investment targets that were established um, in the Triangle area. They originally committed to bringing 600 jobs. To date, they have created 163. The economic fallout continues. Uh, Yeah, so spoiler alert. um, Furman just knocked off Virginia. Furman was the 13th ranked... uh, team in Virginia was the fourth and uh, Furman knocked him off 68-67 a very wild finish like they were down by three with like 20 something seconds they missed the three pointer so then Virginia inbounds it they get fouled guy takes the free throw misses the first free throw makes the second so now Furman's down by four points they come all the way down the court some guy tosses up a ball. It's a terrible shot. Rebounds. Guy drives it to the basket and gets punched in the face, basically, on the way to the rim. And so then he goes to the line. He sinks both of those baskets. So now they're down by two. And then Virginia inbounds the ball. And so you always see this happen, right? This always happens. You inbound the ball, and you get the guys that, like, they get up on top of you, and they start, you know, swarming you, and they start trying to foul you, so... The guy with the ball on Virginia's team, he's like he had a timeout. He could have called a timeout, but he got trapped. He couldn't do anything. And so he just like rather than call a timeout, and a ref doesn't call a foul at all on him, and rather than just sit there and wait and take the foul, wait for them to foul you so you can go to the line. He doesn't do that either. He takes the ball and he tries to heave it across half the court, all the way to the other side of the court to try to clear it out, and one of the Furman guys intercepts it, runs up, passes it, and that guy drains a three-pointer, and they go up by one point, and then Virginia tries to inbound it, and they took a wild shot from, like, half court, and they missed it. So that's it. Furman just knocked off Virginia. Once again, spoiler alert. Uh, Alrighty, a couple of emails. Um, This is from Magda on the Supreme Court. Uh, talking about the Supreme Court. She says, let me get this straight. Uh, the court gets to decide whether they've been naughty or they've been nice. Is that how that works? Yeah, they self-police on the recusals. <laughs> they self-police on that. Um, from yesterday's show, Greg had a, uh, Greg listens to the podcasts, and so he's always a day behind. <laughs> so he writes uh, about yesterday's stuff. But remember yesterday we were talking about uh, – you know, the, the North Mech toll lanes costing Pat McCrory the election, Medicaid expansion, uh, you know, the, the Republicans not listening to their uh, to their voters, to their constituents. And um, Greg says, yes, the question is, is the juice, juice worth the squeeze? That's what I always say. Is the juice worth the squeeze? In this case, the squeeze was that particular caller saying members of the GOP did not support McCrory due to the road thing. Squeeze was no support. Juice was, yes, Cooper won, but the hoped-for juice was the North Carolina GOP learning to listen to their voters, please, right? But that's that's not what happened, right? If you thought the squeeze was on McCrory, like, we're not going to vote for you, Pat, so because you, you did the toll project, so there's the squeeze. And the juice was 
Cooper will listen to us or Republicans will listen to us or somebody will listen to us, right? But that's not what happened. <laughs> so was that, that's the juice. Was that worth that squeeze? Now, one could argue if McCrory did stop the project, he might have won. He might have won re-election. It's possible. The lesson would be play hardball with your elected officials and then they listen to you. Instead, the hardball was played and he lost. So fast forward now, Medicaid expansion. Has the North Carolina legislative leadership, I'm going to say this this way, on Medicaid expansion, the legislative leadership, because it's not the Republican Party per se. This is the legislative leaders. Have they learned that their members will target and punish selected GOP members for their behavior? The base does not want a straight win handed to the Democrats for absolute crumbs. The base recognizes the current and future power of the party. You think they might see if the juice is worth the squeeze? Republican members may primary members over this. It may cost the party their numbers in the General Assembly. may hurt things for statewide elections next year. Any other important races next year? Is the juice worth the squeeze? It's a great question. It can be interpreted in numerous ways. But if the store only sells oranges that make the juice the power players want in spite of the broad party desires, then the question may not uh, may become moot, for the electorate might just stop buying the oranges. <laughs> uh, listen to your voters, GOP. Fight, lead, or keep doing what you're doing. See you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.